come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman Welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. And I'm your polter guest, Britton. Yay, welcome back, Britton. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And polter guide Debbie was heading to the store. She said she'd be right back. She had to go pick up some things. She had a storm. It's fine. It's fine. And she, and she hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she can't hate you. She's never met you. <laughs> That's what I keep saying. <laughs> she just refuses. Getting called out, Debbie. You better be here next time. <laughs> Bring it. Britain's ready. <laughs> so this week we watched the 2007. I would. I don't know if I would. I wouldn't call it a cult classic, but it's a under appreciated gym i would think because i know is it, it underappreciated uh it didn't do very well at all it wasn't until home video that it kind of found its uh people found the love for it huh the 2007 the mist which those of you that don't know what the mist is about are good good buddies at imdb no no i don't care what imdb has to say what the mist is is toby jones audition reel showing that he can play a badass if you just let him (laughs) (laughs) i mean you're not wrong donna but i think they're gonna disagree with you i mean have you ever seen toby jones play a badass before no no he's always He's some weaselly little guy. And then here he is in the mist going, I can shoot things and I can hit things and I can be a badass. And- not, not only can I shoot things, I was, whatever he was, you know, state champ in 82 or whatever he says in the movie. <laughs> yeah. The, the most unsuspecting, you know, gun toter. He was, he was great in this movie. And, and great at the proper times. Like, yeah. You're, you're watching this and you're like, how is this happening in this movie? And then all of a sudden, Ollie steps up. Yeah, he, he was, in my opinion, one of the best characters in this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. If somehow he and the teacher had stuck it, had like teamed up more, this movie would have gone to him completely differently. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hi. All right, go ahead. Tell us what IMDb says. <laughs> oh, right. We Whatever. were doing something. <laughs> Well, IMDb says that a freak storm unleashes a species of bloodthirsty creatures on a small town where a small band of citizens hole up in a supermarket and fight for their lives. Does IMDb think they were all one species? I mean, apparently they think they're all human. I don't know about Mrs. Carmody, but you know. (laughs) I mean, come on, Donna. What are you, a doctor or something? You think these these locust things are different than the giant mammoth AT-ATs walking around? And plus, they say say a freak storm or whatever the weather condition. I mean, it's Project Arrowhead. It's (laughs) the opening of another dimensional door. It's not a freak weather occurrence. It's a melding of two planes of existence. It's the prequel to Stranger Things. Ah! Uh, Yeah. That works for me. So I guess let's go around. Did you like it? Did you not like it? I saw it in the theater. Nice. uh, Originally, back when it first came out. 
And I remember, I, I remember leaving that theater in an absolute fucking state of shock. The answer to did I like it or not is very, very difficult. I think that this movie holds a very similar place as like Requiem for a Dream. Is it good? Yeah, it's a really, really well done movie. Um, I don't really want to watch it a lot. Like, I've seen it twice now and I'm good. It's kind of brutal. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I, I saw it in the theater back in whatever it was, 2007, and hadn't seen it since until I watched it for this thing. And I tried to watch it a second time, you know, to take better notes and whatnot. And I just, I mean, it ended up being on in the background while I was doing other stuff. It's, it's, it's a, it's kind of a tough watch. Um, I guess I did like it, but like you, like you said, I don't, I don't think I ever need to see it again. It's like the Joker. I'm glad I saw it, but I don't ever need to see that again. For me, the reason I hadn't ever seen it before is that, um, Stephen King doesn't always translate real well to film. It seems like they're doing better with his stuff like now, but in 2007, a lot of his stuff was just not working when it went to film. I'm a big Stephen King fan and I liked his story, The Mist. And so I made the choice not to see the movie because I expected, I expected the movie to be bad. Um, I was wrong. It was, damn, damn. <laughs> I wish I had seen it in the theater, but at the same time, it's kind of brutal. I'm with Britton and Adrian that that may be all I ever need to see this movie. Well, and I would point out that, uh, you know, King movies are kind of hit and miss, but not really when they're in the hands of Frank Darabont. Green Mile, Shawshank, The Mist. I mean, he owns the rights. He owns the rights to two more that he keeps threatening to make. And uh, we'll see what happens. But. As somebody that owned Children of the Corn through Children of the Corn 666 on VHS, I take deep, um, deep offense at what you guys are saying here. No, those are all bad. Don't. Yeah, I actually, I did not see this in the theater. I didn't see it till it had come out on video. And it just, it was a perfect storm, literally, of when I watched it because it was springtime. We had a storm, and so it was thundering and lightning in the background as we're watching it. Uh, I'm not, I do agree, it is very brutal. It is a difficult watch, but I do, and it's not one that I'm like, hey, I need some background noise, I'm going to put on the mist. But now that does, since now that I know you three ha have only watched it a handful of times, do you know there's a black and white version? Really? He, he wanted to do the whole movie in black and white, and they wouldn't let him. Yeah. It's uh, when they did the Blu-ray release, and it's also on the DVD release, they, they include both versions, the color version and the black and white version. If I'm watching it, I'm only watching the black and white version because it, I don't know, it takes a different shift and it's just, it's different and it's a good difference. Like it's still, you're still having the brutality, but something with it being in black and white, like it changes it. And it's, huh. it's really good. I do wish for, for the purposes of this podcast, that I hadn't seen it before. I wish that I was watching it for the first time because knowing how it ends takes a good chunk away from it, you know, when you're rewatching it. You know, it's like you can't really get the, the full breadth of the sixth sense, you know, if you watch it a second time because you know the, the twist or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I wish I hadn't seen it so that I could be more jazzed up, you know, for the podcast. 
because uh, there's some there's some crazy stuff that happens in this movie. There's a certain amount of like definite emotional cutoff that I did watching this movie this time that I didn't do the first time. The first time I went into it thinking like this is going to be a regular horror movie where people are going to die, sure, um, but it'll be fine. But and like and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking why why does this movie affect me so much harder emotionally than like Event Horizon? Because I'll rewatch Event Horizon and I don't have like the same issue with that despite the fact that it's arguably got a very similar ending i know the answer i know the answer i think i know the answer but donna go ahead (laughs) is it because you have a kid oh you know what it might fucking be there's no there's no kids on event horizon (laughs) they they don't send kids into space very often yeah billy Mm. makes all the difference now i didn't have a kid when this movie came out Oh, okay. And I still never rewatched it, but it might just be the presence of a kid. Like I did still have a little brother and sister. I think that might be the difference, Adrian, is that, you know, when you did originally see it, you didn't have a kid, but now that you do, because we showed this to my folks and I, my mom was like, oh no, no, no. She, yeah, her, her and my dad both were like, no, they were with it until that last scene. And then they were like, nope, they just noped out. having a kid has really really changed like my apocalypse math you know i used to have a really good time with the whole zombie scenario what would you do and like i gotta rescue my cat but that's my biggest like that's my biggest thing and now it all becomes like well i have to rescue my fucking kid and also my partner should not die too because that's her father you've made one of the classic blunders of any survival movie yeah You've shackled yourself with a family. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really bad. Like, these aren't fun anymore. It's just, like, like, I used to have these really great apocalyptic nightmares, and now it's all just parental anxiety, and I hate it. <laughs> I remember those dreams. I watched Antichrist and just dreamt about Leia falling out of windows for years. Boy, you know, when, um, when Eric Clapton's kid fell out the window and died? I was um, thinking the exact same thing when she said that. My kid was the same age, and uh, it was like a decade before I could even listen to Tears in Heaven. That song would come on the radio, and I would turn the radio off. I'm like, nope, I cannot with that. Now I can listen to it, but it's not comfortable. I can't. Like, it gets to that opening opening bit, and I'm like, all right, time to change the station. (laughs) People still change the station? Yes. Is that a thing that people do? I still well, now surf. you're just listening to it on Bluetooth, so you just don't have that on your device, and it's not a problem. Or if you're Spotify, you can skip the track. I, 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 I've thankfully Spotify has never pulled that song up for me. So I wanted to be a really good podcaster and read the story again, and then I just didn't, and I wasn't. But um, I so loved the opening of this movie actually not even the opening so much as once they get to the grocery store the slow buildup of tension just was was masterful because here we are we're doing all these super normal things we're grocery shopping we're chatting with our neighbors and there's sirens going by outside and there's military showing up and there's an mp and it's just this this slow buildup that i'm just like this is amazing this is really good and then dale showed up and that's what i love about this is is, is like you were saying with the buildup of the tension and just the normalcy everything is so normal at the beginning just you know we've you know just 
especially where we're at, getting ready for a tornado, things like that. Like, oh, okay, let me go get some stuff. Just that normalcy. And it, it feels very natural, especially even after Dale shows up for a little bit, you feel like you're eavesdropping on the different groups. You know, Mrs. Carmody's group, Mr. Norton's group, Drayton's group, like you're just kind of just floating around and just getting a feel for the the environment. Mm-hmm. And then they set it up like on the drive to the the store. They kind of try and normalize it. You know, the Billy goes, "Look, Daddy," and it's a convoy of you know uh, for what how big that town is. It must just be an amazing convoy of military might, right? Several, yeah. you know, a dozen trucks go by with soldiers and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he just kind of sloughs it off he says oh yeah guys from the base it's the same in the very beginning the wife says honey look at that and they show the mist and he goes oh it's a mist <laughs> you know they're, they're kind of setting you up for for stuff that's coming uh, growing up by the army ammunition plant down in southeastern oklahoma like i would have that would have been me like oh hey there goes some a group going by hey like just seeing that it wouldn't have raised any red flags It'd be, I would have been Billy. Same. Even 20 trucks driving by? No big deal? I would have just been like, no, oh, okay. There's a National Guard armory just off the Muskogee Turnpike. And yeah, it is nothing for me to see a huge convoy uh, on the Muskogee Turnpike whenever I'm traveling. All right. Now, Donna, and I actually, I don't know with you, Britton, but if you're a big Dark Tower fan, did you notice the painting that Drayton was working on? Yes. Roland and the Rose and the Tower. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did notice that. It it escaped me. Were yes. all of his paintings part of Ow. the King verse? There was the thing behind him. No, the common factor is Drew Strutzen. Those are all his posters. That was actually Thomas Jane. Like, look, went to him and kind of studied how he did things just for that little bit of that scene. But the Dark Tower painting was done by Strutzen. The thing that's behind him, all of that was stuff out of his basically workshop, and. And Strutzen did the, who's done all of Darren Bont's uh, other King work. So basically, it really is with Darren Bont does the community theater thing, which I love with his actors. Like, that's why we see so many of the same ones just showing up and just people that he works with. Like, I love, I love that. I was so happy to see Melissa McBride. I was so happy to see Melissa McBride at the end. Yeah. That was yeah. such a great little nod, you know especially from her super awkward, you know, will anybody walk a lady home scene? That was such a weird line. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I I called this a quality movie earlier, but that line happened and I was like, oh no, did I remember this wrong? (laughs) Also, it's Carol and she's a badass. She doesn't need anyone to walk her home. So, Well, well, she did in seasons one and two of The Walking Dead. That's true. I mean, it took her she, a little while to become. So this was this was season one, Carol, I guess. Yeah, and same haircut. So yeah, it was awkward. It's it's like that's not what you would say in this situation. No, no, not at all. And also, like individually calling people out, like that was that was fucking weird. That's not yep. how humans behave. Well, I mean, it, at that stage of the game, when you don't really know what's out there, you don't know that there's a 20 foot tall praying mantis out there, right? Or right. spiders, spiders that lay eggs in your belly. Mm. Uh, oh, so, I mean, I assume that's out there all the time. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, it, at that point to, to be like, oh, there's a strange weather phenomenon. Won't anybody see a lady home? Uh, yeah. Is, is a little different than, my kids are gonna get fucking eaten. Can somebody please help me get home? 
Yeah, because that happens before the guy, before Dale comes running in being like, there's somebody in the mist or there's something in the mist, right? It, it happens after Dale comes in and it happens after the guy says, fuck this, I got to get to my car. And we just hear him scream, but we don't know what happened to him. So all we know is that somebody went into the mist, screamed, and was never heard from again. We assume he's dead, but you don't know. You, you haven't seen why didn't she just call home? This is 2007. Even I had a cell phone in 2007, and I was a I was a holdout. Uh, the phones weren't working. They actually covered. Oh, that. right, 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 right. Okay, okay, okay. That's movie making 101. Kill the phones. Yeah. Get the phones. Yeah. Um, otherwise, David could have just called home and said, "Hey, honey, get in the basement, would you? Just go." Honestly, he shouldn't have fucking had to because she's an adult with a goddamn brain. <laughs> But when the mist first shows up, you don't know. They saw it from their shore. She says, look, honey, you missed. And they thought it was neat. Oh, it's weird on the water. Mist on the water is not weird. Like, mist goes away because it gets too hot. So it tends to hang out on water where it's cooler. That's not weird. That's where mist goes. It chills on the little low-lying lakes that you drive by. It's true. Yeah. The way that they interacted with this mist, I was like, did you guys just move into that house? Do you not understand? <laughs> Where were we? We were talking about something fun. Oh, going out to the car. Right. Oh, yeah. I think it all started with Melissa McBride and her fantastic reappearance at the end of the movie. That was that. First of all, that Melissa McBride and and, you know, Jeffrey DeMunn and Lori Holden. And I mean, it's it's such a delight. I forgot that those people were in it. And of course, I hadn't seen The Walking Dead before I saw this, so there's no reason I would have remembered that. Uh, but there's actually five people from The Walking Dead in this. It's so awesome to see all those people. Mm -hmm. And Jeffrey DeMunn is one of my favorites. He's he's fantastic in everything he's, he does, even in like where he plays a lawyer in Law and & Order or something. He's, <laughs> he's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Anytime he shows up on Law & Order, it's like, Dale, what are you doing here, buddy? You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Open up your shirt. Let me see if you have a scar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I like that. Because uh, William Sadler was from Shawshank Redemption and seeing him show back up. In and the his, Green Mile. Was he in the Green? Oh, yeah, he was in the Green Mile. Oh, my gosh. I I completely forgot he was in the Green Mile. Like he And he's the father of the murdered girls. That's right. Mm. So, yeah, I've all of them are a delight to see. So I don't think we ever said that we were in spoiler territory, but we're there. We're, yeah, we're there, clearly. <laughs> I mean, it's a 2007 movie. It's kind of on the listener if they haven't. They exactly. decided to listen to a podcast about The Mist from 2007, and they haven't watched it yet. <laughs> so since we already mentioned uh, Melissa McBride, who is credited as woman with kids in the credits, by the way, we already mentioned Melissa McBride coming back. If you, if you back up just a few minutes, the ending where uh, David, I should, I should mention that because I didn't expect to ever watch this movie, that I had read a lot of things discussing the ending of the movie. Um, so I knew, I knew how it ended. But for some reason, I never realized that everyone in the car but Billy had agreed to that. I, I had always gotten the impression that he just was like, all right, we're just all going to die, boom, 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 and hadn't discussed it. So that was kind of a, a surprise for me. But uh, the gut punch of that ending, you know, where he shoots everyone in the car, then gets out of the car, and then five minutes, or not even five minutes, like two minutes later, uh, here comes the army. 
Man. in the direction that he was coming from. So yeah. had he just driven the other way, he would have linked up with the army and everyone would be fine. How did the book end? Not like that. No, not like that. He heard somebody on the radio, uh, so he knew that he knew that it was okay. And didn't King say he liked the movie's ending better? Yeah, he has went on record. I think the quote is basically, if I had been brave enough, this was the ending I should have done. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, because the book ends, it's very, it's very hopeful. He hears someone on the radio, everybody's still alive. Mm-hmm. That that went with him. They're what they're holed up in a hotel or a motel, right? Is it the same five people that survived? I think so. I just I find it interesting because of course there's the first gut punch of he's killed everyone, including his own kid. Then there's the second gut punch of the um, army showing up, and then the third, which I guess maybe is a punch to the nose of Melissa McBride showing up, and that makes you think. Maybe if we had all just left the store earlier. Not only does she show up, she shows up with her two boys. So she she got home, she mm-hmm. got her kids collected, and she got to an extraction point. Yeah. Another nitpick, though. She said, I forget her kid's name, but she said her daughter's name. And then she said, she sometimes forgets she's only eight. That girl was 13 or 14 <laughs> at the goddamn youngest. That was not an eight-year-old girl that she was standing with. <laughs> She has a thyroid condition. <laughs> <laughs> or that could have been something she said just to get somebody to help her to go home. But wouldn't they know? Like, they knew her. She was a well, local. They, they didn't address her by name. She was a yeah. woman with kids. And, and nobody said, you know, Carol, calm down when they were That's... trying to get her to, you know. Mm-hmm. But how could they not know her? Because the town, yeah. it's, built, it's built as being a super small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. I think they had to have known her. Nobody was talking to her like she was a stranger. Right. Maybe maybe she was just a standoff bitch. Nobody got to know her. <laughs> I mean, she, she did talk weird, so and had weird expectations. And had weird as as a weird person, she was extra weird. <laughs> That's why nobody saw a lady home. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Did you guys notice, uh, or do you have any idea who the cashier girl was? She looked real familiar to yeah. me. She is in one of my guilty pleasure movies. One of the movies that if it's see it, if I see it on the guide, I'm always going to stop and watch at least ten minutes of it. And I'm embarrassed to say that movie is The Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, oh but The Chronicles hard. of Riddick is so great. It is. But she plays Kira. That's oh, Kira. That, okay, that's how I know her then. Okay. Are you with me, Kira? <laughs> that was good to see her. Yeah. She died. She died horribly, though. She did. She was Gwen Raiden in Angel. Yes, that's why I knew her because I've never seen Chronicles of Riddick. Anyway, so we're talking about the mist. So how about those monsters? I, I mean, they did a great job with what I thought was sort of a mediocre idea for a monster. Yeah. Like. But but it they did a good job with the mediocre idea. Like uh-huh. a twenty foot tall praying mantis. I mean, anything twenty foot tall is going to be kind of scary. But you know, his little pincer claws rip people in two pieces. You know, and mm-hmm. the uh, I don't know the thing with the tentacles that got Norm, the grocery store boy. Uh, that seemed kind of weird. Like that thing was so much more powerful than any of those men, and that elongated fight should have been about six seconds before norm was gone Mm -hmm. 
And the, and then the the reason why the tentacle monster leaves is because they shut that electric door on it. And he's like, oh, I better get all my tentacles out before the door smashes me. No, dude, <laughs> the, the door ain't smashing your giant tentacles, you know? That one that stayed in there that they eventually cut the head off of was like a a tree trunk sized, you know, like a, a redwood sized uh, trunk. I don't know. I, I, I like them. Uh, I have a natural fear of spiders anyway. So the spiders, especially the tiny ones that, you know, you can't get off of you, don't even know they're on you freak the hell out of me um and and they shoot laser webbing at you or okay acid hold webbing on, though hold on though about <laughs> that <laughs> why and when did they decide to shoot their acid webbing could they choose between the acid webbing and the regular webbing because there were people held up in webs that was clearly not acid webbing because if it had been acid webbing they would have just fallen the fuck apart no no i've got it all figured out so you see very clearly in one of the first uh, acid or Bernie, I don't know what it is, uh, lasery webbing, and it like cuts the pants off of the guy. And so you mm -hmm. see his like scalded uh, thigh flesh or whatever, but it doesn't like sever. It doesn't like go through and cut the bone and his leg falls off. But so, they say it's going to. It, well, okay, well, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> but the webbing doesn't affect itself the way that it affects flesh so once you get the first few strands going on the when you're mummifying the guy in your in your stuff the layers begin to be on top of each other and so that's how the cocoon can can form does that make any okay. sense yeah it does actually because isn't that what actual legit spiders do like don't they start I'm, digesting in the cocoon yeah but that's uh, because they inject yeah oh, they, they inject, inject. The, yeah once okay. they get you all wrapped up but you could see people's body parts. Like you could see somebody's hand and their feet sticking out of the webbing up on the ceiling. And so my question is just how did that get up on the ceiling without their hand just falling down onto the floor? Okay, listen, I'm going to pull in my knowledge of biology here. And they've got an extra little sack with an extra little sphincter and they can choose whether to shoot acid or not. They can shoot just regular webs, or they can release a sphincter and shoot acid. So then, why wouldn't they just release the regular the the, the acid webs? And because like these things are choosing this, so why wouldn't they just de, de not decapitate, deleg people with their acid web, and then they can't run and they can cocoon them at their own leisure? That's obviously what they're trying to do. As but the they scene didn't do where... it with the people that were there. Well, you didn't those, see all their legs. Those people. Is, the, what I'm saying is, I want more monster consistency. <laughs> I think I think some of them are for eating, and some of them for laying eggs. The guys yeah. that are strung up are for laying eggs, and then like the the young boy that uh, Thomas Jane was going to try and run out of there with before they're like, we got to get the hell out of here, and they leave him. That last shot of the pharmacy is of one big spider on the on the sort of uh, the counter walking over and then 7,000 tiny spiders going over to devour that poor young boy. That sounds like a very conservative number. 70,000. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> that was a lot of fucking tiny spiders. That was horrifying. But yeah, there was that vaginal appearance of the thing and it had the spikes and the, the lips and I just- All very was... accurate to a vagina. Except for the teeth that pulls off large swatches of flesh from, you know, Norm's chest. 
<laughs> no, no, totally accurate. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Stories I heard in seventh grade are true. <laughs> this is a very educational podcast. The spikes, they'll get you, man. Speaking of Norm, I was in, well, the first movie I ever did was with Norm, or Chris Owens. Really? The, Sh- the Shermanator, as some <laughs> that, may re- recall him. That is exactly what I think every time I see him, which he, I assume, is not happy about. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty iconic character. I'd be proud to, to have been the Shermanator. What, uh, what movie is that? Oh, it's a movie called Going Greek. It's a fraternity story romp, you know, a bunch of fraternity pledges going through pledgeship and first yeah. year college type stuff. Uh, and Chris was was in that movie. It's a good time. That was my first experience on a real Hollywood set, even though it was a super micro budget. I think they made it for like under a hundred grand and uh, straight to video. And for a while, uh, I guess this must have been like 2001. I saw that movie like 20 times when we were trying to sell it and we would bring investors to watch it. And sometimes they'd run out of theater and whatnot. And they hadn't uh, gotten anybody to buy it. So they were using temporary music. And one of those songs for like the love song was uh, Coldplay's Yellow. For and the love song? For, for like some sequence when, when the jock pledge and the pretty girl who doesn't like fraternity boys finally get together, uh, they play Yellow. And Yellow's a fantastic song. And of course, when the movie came out, Yellow's not in it because they could not afford Yellow. <laughs> <laughs> and totally different music. Good times. Awesome. So do we want to talk about Mrs. Carmody? Let's talk about Mrs. Carmody. Stephen King writes such good religious fanatics. It's amazing how good he writes religious fanatics. You've got Carrie White's mom. You've got uh, several people in the stand. You've got Mrs. Carmody. Uh, that's just kind of a thing he does, and he's really good at it. And she was, um, you know, she started out pretty crazy, and the slow rise to sounding reasonable was amazing. What's, I mean, it was definitely a slow rise. It's sort of like watching an episode of Ancient Aliens to me. So for like three quarters of an episode of Ancient Aliens, I'm watching going, all right, plausible. You know, there's no science that says this is impossible. And then three quarters of the way through, they'll present you with some ultimatum that's, you know, one answer is Ancient Aliens, and then the other answer is something ridiculous. And I think we all know the answer is Ancient Aliens. <laughs> So, so it's it's kind of like that to me. You know, she gets to a point where, uh, uh, you know, somebody who believes in God and, and reads the Bible and does all that stuff, you can kind of see where she's going. But then when she wants to expiate and, and give off uh, blood sacrifices to these, what she doesn't even know what they are or whether they're God sent, it, it turns crazy. Like it drops off a cliff crazy. Like the stuff that she's saying isn't outlandish until she starts saying, let's murder some people. There was, there's a moment when they stab the ridiculously pretty Edward Cullen uh, army dude. Oh, that's my, that's my kryptonite. That's Sam Witwer. Was that Sam Witwer? It is. I don't like the way they did his makeup in this movie. Oh, he looked very goofy from the very start. Like it's (laughs) like, there's something off about, this guy's shiny face. Yeah, he looked like they were trying to convince us that he was a human being. <laughs> okay, I can see that. 
Which is upsetting because I've seen him and I know that he's actually a fairly attractive human being. And I'm like, how did you do this? And that's why I called him Edward Cullen because that's kind of the same thing that they did with Robert Pattinson in Twilight where it's like, you want me to believe that you're a highly attractive person, but you already were. And the makeup that they've done on you makes you look uncanny valley. It was off-putting for sure to see him for the first time. But when they when 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 the the mob stabs him, um, she kind of like backs down, and it almost like like almost looks like she's having some sort of like psych psychological break in that moment. And I thought that maybe she was going to be like, "What have I done? I, this has gone too far," and then try to do something to stop it. And then she just fucking doubles down. She's like, "Throw him out to the beast. Let them smell his blood." Feed him to the beast! (laughs) Yeah, that was fucking bananas. And then she spilled her milk. And then she spilled her milk. I always liked with her that I thought she was one of these people in town nobody really listened to, and then they're in this crisis situation, and she's still talking her normal crazy. But with a heavy dose of I told you so. Yes, and then she's getting more people listening to her. And I do agree that at that moment, she has a moment of like, oh shit, what have I done? But then, yeah, she's like, well, nope, this is us now. We we do blood sacrifices. And uh, and even when the that first night with the bugs attack, and she basically, trash can man pledges her life to Randall Flagg, <laughs> my life for you. Yes, that line, I was like, oh wow, that's a cool, that's, that's a cool callback to the sand, my yeah. life for you. So she was already damned (laughs) basically but no i do think it is it's it is a gradual one but then when she leaps it's off the cliff yep yep um now we all live in the bible belt do you guys know any mrs carmody's i'm related to a mrs carmody i'm thinking if i do no, I nix those people out of my fucking friend group. I do not hang out with people like that. Those are the family members that I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not going there. Now, when my mom was still alive, she would, I don't want to say force, but she would definitely push remaining um, close with those people. Um, and now that uh, I don't have that, I also don't spend nearly as much time interacting with those relations. Are you saying that your mom was Mrs. Carmody adjacent? (laughs) Yes. My mom was Mrs. Carmody adjacent. My mom became a Wiccan, so she's a witch. And so she was like, nah, man, don't hang out with people like that. Those people are toxic. So you know the anti-Mrs. Carmody. I do. Yeah. Hi, mom. (laughs) (laughs) I knew one lady. She was definitely very, very close to Mrs. Carmody, and that was my fifth and sixth grade Sunday school teacher yeah so she was she was she she danced that line uh-huh. it's such a great character though uh, and and Marcia Gay Harden that's who played that right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah she just does a fantastic job with it it's just really well played I think yeah yeah it was it was it was um believable and yeah. the way she would deliver some of those lines was just the emphasis on certain words it just was Really, really well done. I was very impressed with the way she played that part. And the progression of the zealotry is mm-hmm. correctly paced, you know? Yeah. Like, she's she's already a zealot to begin with, but it's not until some of these things start happening where she feels emboldened to reveal, you know, more and more of what 
mm -hmm. she thinks is going on. Well, I think she definitely believed her own hype. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. She believes that God saved her from that, that bug that didn't sting her. Yeah. You know, for sure. Not the fact that she went absolutely still. If something with a stinger lands on you, just don't move. <laughs> it's true. I don't know that most people are capable of that. Well, I not. run screaming like a three-year-old. Luckily, my flight or f my flight fight freeze response is pretty good. And so once I realize I can't get out of this, freeze just happens and I don't get a choice. Right. I got to tell you a story that I may have told on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again because Britain's here. But Adrian and I are in the same gaming group. And the place we gamed had French doors that sat behind me. Adrian sat across from me. And one night we were just sitting there. We were gaming. We're having a good time. And abruptly, Adrian's focus goes right over my shoulder. And she goes, what the fuck is that? And my response was to freeze. Yeah, right? like you, this look just came over Donna's face. Like, oh, I accept my fate. I am now dead. <laughs> I just, I didn't want to know what it was. That was... <laughs> It was a really, really big bug. And how did we deal with it? Uh, we did. I was just like, that's outside. That's a problem for later me. Oh, yeah. Outside <laughs> bug is fine. Yeah. I don't have to deal with that until I need to leave this house. It'll be okay. Where they belong, outside. But I think I did demonstrate that I am totally capable of freezing when appropriate. Whenever that happened, I was like, oh, she knows that if something is scaring me, it's very bad. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm trapped. I'm trapped here. I've got <laughs> I've got one giant on one side of me, one giant on another. We game with some big guys. Uh, giant on one side, giant on the other side. I'm just stuck. <laughs> this is how it ends. Uh, anyway, it was a um, scary bug. What about Andre Brower as David, or not David? He's Brent, right? Brent Norton. It was really, really surprising to me. I forgot he was in this, and I've only seen him in Brooklyn Nine Nine lately. And so whenever he was angry and emoting, I was like, whoa, calm down, calm down. <laughs> calm You're down. the captain. Calm down, Andrew. Calm down. Yeah, I, uh, he, was, he was so good because, of course, he was. He's Andre Brower. Of course, he was really good. I just, man, if they were going to cast him in this, I wish they would have cast him as almost anybody else. He could have been Dale. Um, he could have been... Um, I just, one, he was wasted, and two, I really hated to see the only significant black guy be Norton. Yeah. He's kind of an asshole and leaves halfway through the movie. We never know what happened to him, right? No. Assumed dead, right? Assumed dead. I mean, the guy that was with him got torn in half, so. Well, he wasn't with him. He went out at the same time, but those guys, Andre Brower's group went to do something besides the, the biker went to see if he could get the shotgun, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. So he could have been on the other side of the truck with Carol. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little frustrated by the scene where they just had the thing in the storeroom with Norm and they come out and they're like, we got to tell Brent, you know, he's one of the leaders. He'll, he'll be able to, you know, come up with a plan or whatever. And his reaction is, I'm sorry, I'm just not that stupid. And We'll come come back to the storeroom and see this tentacle. We have chopped off the tentacle of an alien creature from a different dimension, and it's sitting in the storeroom. And all of this argument can end if you just come and see the thing or not see it, and then we're liars, right? But his refusal to do that is so frustrating in that moment, you know? Mm -hmm. 
It's one of the things that ha- I feel like happens a lot in in movies with a supernatural elements where there's always somebody who's just like, I'm not going to believe this and no amount of proof that you show me or offer me is going to make me change my mind. And I always get a little bit frustrated by that. And I don't know, like part of me is like, well, maybe that's perfectly valid because like, I don't know, we're in a pandemic and people think it's a conspiracy theory. So like, maybe I just give people too much credit um, maybe maybe the refusal is absolutely in line with what people would do which is not where i was going when i first started talking but this is where i am anyway i think the refusal is reasonable if the request was i'm gonna prove it to you just come outside with me we'll go to the pharmacy hell no i ain't going outside but you're asking me to walk 30 feet into the storeroom to see rock solid evidence or disapproval of what i'm trying to tell you yeah maybe it was just that maybe it was just that andre brower was able to pull it off but i found his assumption that you guys are trying to prank me and i'm not going to go along with it i found that plausible yeah it it was plausible i still think he could have been like fine i'll walk to the storeroom with you but i found it believable that's the thing is i like i'm like why couldn't he just walk to the storeroom because if they're trying to prank him in this situation that says that like i could see him being like i don't want to look stupid here but in this situation i think it says a lot more about them than it does about him what does it say about them? That they're assholes if they're pranking him in this situation. Like, oh, for sure, for like sure. If, if if he goes with, like, I don't think he has anything to lose here by following them is the thing. Agreed. I agree. You could put all of it to rest if yeah. you walk the 30 feet. Yeah, or, exactly. Or you could be informed about what's really happening. Sure, sure. It kind of struck me as the, no, you're not going to get me to the secondary location is, is how it, it it came to me. But see, I didn't think that he was in danger. Like, it felt like he just didn't want to look stupid. Yeah, I think 100% I agree with that. Because, you know, he's a public figure. You know, Ollie says he's going to be on the bench one day. You know, you're not going to get on the bench if you fell lock, stock, and barrel for some crazy, (laughs) you know, alien conspiracy. Mm -hmm. But can't you just go down there under the assumption that it's not there and making them prove that it's, and like being like, okay, I thought it wouldn't be here and look, it wasn't here. So yeah, yeah, I agree. His, his character is is pretty wasted though. He leaves and we never hear, like we never get that Melissa McBride satisfaction of knowing whether he lived or died. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's not one of the bodies in the pharmacy. He's just gone. We don't know what happened to him. And he was such a dick. You, you want to know whether... You want to know. Yeah. Because frankly, either way it happened, if he died, that would have been um, satisfying. And if he lived and realized that he um, was a denier, that would have also been satisfying. So Absolutely. Yeah. We should have seen Andre Brower again. Or at least a piece of him. Or at least a piece <laughs> of him. Just something. Uh, who else do we need to talk about? Billy? Billy, I mean, Billy, as an actor, Billy was not given very much to do. No. No. I really did not enjoy the parental relation, the the, the familial relationship that David and Billy had. Um, I spent a lot of the movie this time, and again, in 2007, I did not have a child. I spent a lot of the movie this time, though, trying to picture what what Norman would do with Leia in this situation. And I like shove her off onto other people is not one of those things. Like this, 
this i i don't know man this is like toxic masculinity dad or something there was a point when he was uh, when he said go hang out with the ladies that oh. i was just like oh <laughs> fuck you yeah <laughs> Um, the fact that at so many points he's literally handing his fucking child to strange women, mm-hmm. like oh, when he go when he goes to the pharmacy, he literally tells Andrea. It's so funny that you guys are calling her Andrea because, like, I remember her from Silent Hill, so she's like Sybil to me. <laughs> so when he tells when he tells Sybil, you know, if I don't come back, you know, take Billy. Here's the keys to my truck. It's your truck now. Take yeah. Billy. You know. I'm like, I, there's like a million people there. You know better than her. But she did have a gun in her purse. You know, yeah. that's not one of my, uh, one of my, ch- uh, it's not on my checklist for who to trust my child with. But during the mist? You know, we've got the same problem with the mist that we have in other monster apocalypse situations, which is I'm not sure a gun's going to help you. Well, it certainly helped them get out of the pharmacy. It helped some. It, it helps helps, some. It helps some, but I would argue that it actually did more damage than good. Because sure, it got them out of the pharmacy in that moment, but also they were doing pretty good getting out of the pharmacy with not a gun. And then when he literally risks their life not taking one step out of the car to get the gun off of the fucking hood of the car, the gun is then used to murder everybody in the fucking car. Moments before they would be rescued. Yeah. All right. So in this particular situation, the gun was used certainly improperly. Yeah. I like. I honestly think fewer people would have died if that gun had not been there. Yes. Somebody one- would have died in the pharmacy. Absolutely. But fewer people. The, the loss of life overall would have been lower without <laughs> that gun. But one of the important bodies was Mrs. Carmody. And without the gun, she's still alive. Uh, you know what? I bet that teacher still had cans of peas. Yeah. <laughs> and she could aim. She could have <laughs> hit her in the fucking face, dude. She, she was had amazing. Deadly aim with canned vegetables. She was sure. also the same one that created the flamethrower in the pharmacy. Yeah. Yes. Like, I bet she could have did, like, like, they weren't in danger of Miss Carmody as long as they had what is that teacher's name irene as long as they had irene they were fine things didn't go to shit till they killed irene no irene makes she it made to the, the very car. end yeah she mm-hmm. made it to the car mm-hmm. that's what i'm saying it's only after she dies that things get real sad <laughs> <laughs> adrian all i'm gonna say is tell that to uh private jessup <laughs> who got stabbed to the pieces of his corpse I'm going to stick with the argument that he wasn't actually a human being. He was a cyborg. He was a cyborg. He was, he was infiltrating. Project Arrowhead. Project he's, Arrowhead. He's Project Arrowhead. Yeah. yeah. Inside of him was just more bugs. So what was, what was the story with the soldiers in the beginning? Were they trying to go AWOL? No, they were on leave. But at one point, after the MP comes in, right before the mist shows up, the MP says, meet me back at the Jeep in five minutes. Leave's been canceled. And they were like, with with gravity, they were like, oh, you know, 20 more minutes, we would have been, we would have made it or something like that. I think they like, were just saying, like, they were going to leave, like, probably catch a ferry or something. But do they know what's coming in the mist? That's a good question. Private Jessup's the one that, that reveals 
the third dimension door or whatever it is, you know, the inner uh, dimensional door that was open that, that let these things in. So did they know that that was happening and they were trying to get, you know, GTF out of there? I think the two with him did, because I think that's why they hung him themselves, because he talks about that. Yeah. I think he must have too then. Yeah. He's got a great little moment when they shove him outside and he's stabbed and he's hurt and he turns around and sees the 20 foot tall praying mantis. And he just turns back to the door and he says, I can't remember the exact words, but he's please? like, please, please, it's please. But that was a really good, mo- you know, acting that moment. That was, yeah. He was really good right there. Yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't frantic. It was just quiet and just please. It was, it was really good. Yeah. All right. Well, I have our quote, which is, welcome to Sesame Street, kids. Today's word is expiation. I like it. Expiation is just fun to say. Expiation. Expiation. It's a, it's a expiation. Fun and they all say it like differently, like how Toby says it, to how she says it, to William Sadler. Like they all say it very, very interestingly. It's very fun. All right. Britton, you have our poll. If you are in the mist and all of this is happening around you, how long does Mrs. Carmody last in your version? I got to tell you, Mrs. Carmody demonstrated something very real, which is that they will not give the same privilege to others that they expect for themselves. When our heroes are like, we just want to leave. She's like, I won't allow it. Point being, I'm not a violent person. I, I don't see myself going to let's shoot her, let's throw her out the door. But I do see her locked up in a bathroom somewhere pretty quick because she was causing problems. Yeah, I, I could see somebody not killing her, but shutting her down, you know, yeah. verbally or, or in your case, physically, if you put her in a bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. But um, that's it's such a tough call to make especially since you don't have very much information and you're getting it in trickles as it goes along. Mm-hmm. So her, her crazy level is, is inching up at the same time as your information is, is coming up. And it, it's, it, you know, it's like when somebody, you know, has lost a hundred pounds and they look amazingly transformative to you. But the person that lives with that hundred pound loser, it's been happening gradually. So they don't see it quite as well. You know, when you're in it, you don't see her crazy ramping up, you know, quite to that, the point until she's murdering Private Jensen, you know. So I, I, I can't see killing her or, or anything that she did being a reason to die uh, until the very end, you know, but uh, definitely I'd want to sequester. Yeah, I think, Donna, I would definitely be like you that, you know, I, she would be just moved away because and even ollie tries to tell them hey this is a normal tuesday for her and it's just being in the thick of that situation and just how she builds so no i i would have honestly probably locked her in the storage area because people got to use the bathroom so i'm not gonna lock Mm -hmm. her in the bathroom but put her in the storage area you know lock her up lay one of that area just get her away from an Mm -hmm. audience basically and just to figure out what to do with her so I don't tend to do very many things alone. Uh, this was another thing I was thinking about while watching the movie. If our house had had a tree fall in on it, we all would have gone to the store together because I'm not fucking do Like, there's nothing for me to do hanging out in a wet house by myself. Um, I'm not cleaning up that shit alone. It's still going to be just as much of a problem when we get back from the store as it is now. 
Um, so light in all likelihood, we would all go together because that's generally what we do anyway, except right now because pandemic. Um, but so first off, I wouldn't be alone with my kid in that store. I would have Norman or Jack or somebody with me because, um, because I like, yeah, I just, that's, that's what we would do. Um, and I honestly don't think that me and Mrs. Carmody would last very long in the same place at all because she would get like, I think like five minutes she would be doing that. And I'm like, we're out. Like I'm not here by myself. We're leaving. Um, I get that there's something in the mist, but there's something in the, in here. <laughs> like we can't, we can't stay here with her. Um, because I do live in the Bible belt and I've lived here my whole life. And I know that probably most of you have too, but, uh, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not safe in a situation with somebody like Miss Carmody. And I'm very, very aware of that. And, uh, so yeah, one, one of us is leaving and I would brave the mist for that to be me if it had to be. Well, I hope you'd end up like Melissa McBride. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've talked about this with you on the podcast, but I don't think I would live through a horror movie because, <laughs> um, because I'm genre savvy, because I watch horror movies. I'm the character that, that has to get killed early on, because if I don't get killed, then I've got the information to get you through to the end. So I'm like the friend in Scream that knows the horror movie rules. You have to get rid of me. Otherwise, the movie's not as scary anymore. It checks out. Yeah. So like narratively, I just can't make it very long. All right. Also, it depends on the kind of horror movie. Slasher movie, I actually think I'm okay because like slasher, I'm like, no, I'm out. Call the police, leaving the state. It's fine. I am not staying here. But like something supernatural and pretty like Annihilation or like, hey, don't touch this beautiful shimmery object like Color Out of Space. I'm touching that shit. Like, It's just going to happen. At least you know your limits. Whereas <laughs> I will die because I'm the scientist and I won't believe it until too late. I will die because I'm fat and I can't run very fast. See, you don't always have to run very fast in horror movies, though. I mean, clearly in a slasher movie, you do, which was your problem. Right. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I've already, I've already proven why I wouldn't <laughs> last very long. But, but you don't have to run fast in all of them. Like, like color out of space, running fast wasn't going to save you. Uh, you just need to not be there. Don't touch the things, which is exactly what I would do. I would touch the things because they're pretty. All right. Well, Adrian, you have a rule. Oh, okay. So this is a, a rule slash PSA. Um, if you ever feel like killing yourself, fucking give it a minute. Go do something else for like 20 minutes. Watch an episode of Rick and Morty or, um, you know, something that doesn't make you want to kill yourself quite as hard. Not that it's bad. Like, BT Dubs, I really like Rick and Morty. <laughs> I enjoy this show a lot. Um, but, uh, but it's really sad sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, you know, most of the time when people kill themselves, it's a very like spur of the moment decision, as we see in this movie, because we talked about how everybody consented to that, but like nobody actually said yes. There was no enthusiastic consent here. Uh, this would not stand up. This should not stand up in, 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 a, in a relationship. So let's not let it stand up for killing people. Um, if does he, does he face consequences? I mean, the army just found him and it, it 
they're going to see four dead bodies with four bullet holes in their heads. I feel like in this situation, you can claim extraneous circumstances and probably be all right, like legally. Um, well, I don't know. I've never been in that situation, so. Yeah. Hopefully um, never will. It never will. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is that in most cases of suicide or where people have felt suicidal, if you can get them away from that for a moment, they, they don't do it. They don't go through with it. Like just any sort of interruption there uh, uh, sort of stops the process. Um, so if you're ever feeling like that, like they were at the end of this movie, just do something else for a minute and see if you still want to later. Because as they would have discovered in this movie, just listening to a song on the radio would have gotten them through this. And I think that goes double for, uh, so certainly for suicide, if you're ever thinking about it, take your 20 minutes. But also if you're ever thinking about murdering your child, yeah, you should yeah. also think about that before. Take you a know. minute. Yeah, take a moment, listen to that song, then yeah. you'll hear the, the, the army behind you and you'll realize everything's all right. Everything's yeah. fine. We don't, have to, we don't have to murder. It's a good rule. Just, you know, take the minute for the tearful goodbye. That would work too. Sure. Instead of murdering your child right as he wakes up from a little sleepy nap. Okay, so I, I do want to say something about that really quick. Because the kid says earlier on in the movie, make your biggest promise to me. You can't ever break this promise. Don't let the monsters get me. And so then he fucking wakes up to his father holding a fucking gun in his face. Who's the fucking monster? Ooh. The monster was inside all of us all along. I mean, honestly, that's really the moral of all of the Stephen King stories. Having said that, I do not have a spider with human teeth in me. I'm confident there is no spider with human teeth in me. Thank God. I mean, that sounds like something that somebody with a spider with, with human teeth would say. You know, I didn't think about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not 100% confident. I don't have a spider with teeth in me. So, you know. That's some refreshing honesty, Kinsey. Thank you. You're Thank you for sharing. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else? No, just thanks to Britain for coming back. Yes. Thank you, Britain. Yeah, thank back. you, Britain. Well, thanks for having me. We, we, we appreciate you came back, and it's always fun. The life of a poltergeist. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good gig it's a good gig <laughs> all right well thank you guys so much for listening we are on social media you can find us at twitter at beyond cabin on instagram and facebook beyond the cabin in the woods we do have a web page which is beyond the cabin in the woods.com uh if you're looking for me on social media you can find me on instagram or twitter at calista 77 you can find me on twitter at sooner dvm and you can find me on Instagram at Donna underscore Leahy. Typically, this is the point where I tell you nothing's happening on Instagram for me, but I have a new puppy, and there are all kinds of pictures of the new puppy on my Instagram now. So defo, go follow my Instagram and see pictures of the new puppy. Uh, I am on Twitter at Junkyard Poet. I have not been posting to Instagram very much lately. Aren't they owned by Facebook? I've been kind of avoiding Facebook-owned things. You may not find me on Twitter, and you may not find me on Instagram, and you may not find me on the Snapchats. <laughs> and I am on Facebook, so hooray for me and technology. <laughs> then we're also part of the Gumby Cat Network, so definitely check them out. And as always, thank you so much to our editor, Billy. 
Thank you, Billy. Thanks, Billy. Oh, oh, wait. I wanted to call Britton out on something because I was creeping his his IMDb page. Oh. You were in an episode of The Office. I was. I don't know how I missed that the first time that I creeped your IMDb page. Well, it's a real blink and you miss it type of uh, scene. It took them longer to find a shirt that fit me than it did to film the scene. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and and the cam- I my line lasts longer than the camera is on me. So, <laughs> uh, but it was a fun deal. I'm actually friends with some people. I worked at an improv theater with Angela. She was one of the managers, and I was the bar manager. She's a delight. And uh, Oscar used to perform at our theater. Uh, Meredith. Her name is Kate. She used to do a show called The Lampshades. Still does a show called The Lampshades, actually. Um, but yeah, I knew quite a few people in there. The, the, break, the breakdown for that role called for a real crap stealer. They want a real crap stealer. Are you a real crap stealer? I am not a real crap stealer. <laughs> but I am a real craps player. So, I mean, I know the payouts and I know how to call the game, you know, and all that stuff. So I get to the... Uh, the place and I'm reading the sides and it doesn't really make sense. Whatever was on the page is not what somebody calling a crap game would say. And, and I was worried that it wouldn't like match up with the dice. Like if my line was, you know, you know, seven outline away, new shooter, what if the dice is a four, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but, so uh, I'm getting introduced to everybody by Kate, the woman that plays Meredith she she was awesome. She, oh, Steve, I want you to meet my friend Britton. You know, we performed together at the I.O., which was very generous. She performed at the I.O. and I performed at the I.O., but we didn't perform together. She, you know, she, had, <laughs> she had a bigger... And uh, so she's just meet, introducing me to everybody, and it was awesome. And so she introduced me to the director, and I'm like, hey, I have a question about the script. Do you want me to say what's written in this script, or do you want me to just call the game? And he was like, oh, yeah, just call the game. So I called it like a like a, a real, you know, craps person would. But the one thing I had never done was work the stick, the little stick with the hook on the end where yeah. you push the dice back and forth. So I'm sort of waiting before my scene. I'm like, boy, I got to get some practice with this stick because it's not easy. Like the, you got to get them set up right or they kind of fall to the side and you only push two out of five or something like that. <laughs> and, and so I'm over there kind of practicing with the stick and Rain Wilson walks over and says, I thought they were supposed to hire a real crap stealer. And my heart just went like, oh shit, I'm found out. So my fight or flight response kicked in with zero hesitation. I just looked at him right in the eye and said, I am a real crap stealer, sir. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I was just kidding around, you know, and blah, blah, blah. No big deal. Uh, but I thought just for an instant, I was like, I've been discovered. You know, the, the old mantra in Hollywood is tell them you can do it and then figure out how to do it on set. Yes, I can do that. I speak French. Yes. We oui. wasn't that wasn't that what they told the drummer of the monkeys? He was like, I'm an actor, not a drummer. And they were like, then act like a drummer. Like a drummer. <laughs> That's a good one. But uh, oh, yeah. Like... The uh, I didn't tell anybody about the office because I thought uh, like I'd been burned on ER. I told people about I had a big watch party from my first episode of ER. And it turns out they cut like 60% of my stuff out. And I'm like, okay, here's my scene where I do the thing. And no, not there. So, oh, the next epi- no. so the next episode, I didn't tell anybody or have a watch party. And they left everything in. And that should have been the watch party. 
So I just, I was like, this is such a, a small bit part. I'm not going to like hype it. Like, you know, the camera goes like this across my face and, and it's done. And so I didn't tell anybody. I got like three or four calls the, the week after it aired. Like, why didn't you tell me you were in the office? I'm like, how did you know I was on the office? You can't even see it. But that was a fun time. That is fantastic. I like that that Britain's flight or fright response is I, I absolute confidence. Fuck you. <laughs> Double down. <laughs> I will remember that. <laughs> it, it served Donald Trump really well. It, it has. Yeah. Not anybody else, but that one dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. That one guy. And in that moment, I was only looking out for number one. I could, <laughs> I could not be discovered as a fake crap stealer. <laughs> That's awesome. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Oh, and don't read the Latin. You know what horror is? <laughs> <laughs>